continuing our series that we've been in on growing in spiritual maturity, growing to spiritual maturity. You know, we talked about our faith being the foundation of our lives and how important it is to place faith at the foundation of our lives and how we add to our faith goodness and goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance we add godliness and to godliness we add brotherly kindness and then we get all the way to the place of love. And love, we've got to understand, love is one of the hardest things for us to get to in our lives. It just doesn't come natural. We don't accidentally love. We don't come out loving. We come out very selfish. How many of you have had babies? We come out very selfish people, right? And, and we lay around going, ah, give me what I want. <laughs> and if we don't teach our kids, right, we end up not being able to learn that process that it takes to get to love. But really, we've got to understand that getting to love in our lives takes spiritual maturity. And until we grow to that place of spiritual maturity, we're going to miss it. And we'll think we're loving, but we're not. Well, in this series, today we're going to back up a little bit and we're going to add some more knowledge. We're going to talk about knowledge. Add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge. Why is that important? So let's talk about it. Uh, when Angela, for those of you who don't know, she's my late wife now, last couple of months. And, um, but when we fell in love, Neither one of us really knew what we were signing up for. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, we, there was plenty to fall in love with, but we had no idea about the parts that we would have to decide to love. You know what I'm saying? And since saying I do on June 5th, 1993, we did a lot of work learning each other and what we liked and what we didn't like about each other and accommodating for each other in our lives. I called it Angelology for me, and it was Johnology for her, right? It was me studying, learning what she liked and what she didn't like and trying to accommodate for her in my life and her doing the same. And that's why we were able to stay together for 28 and a half years till death did we part, right? I mean, we, and listen, it wasn't the times that were most difficult, like, like these horrible things that happened, like the F5 tornado that came through our neighborhood in, in, in Oklahoma City. It wasn't, it wasn't times like that. It wasn't the fire of 2017. It wasn't a miscarriage that she had that was the difficult times. It wasn't the cancer that she had last year that, that was difficult. It wasn't that stuff that drew us apart. Those things actually drew us closer together. It was those things that we saw our true love for one another as we went through those difficult times. But, and, and i got to be honest with you, one of the things that I'm most grateful for is, is how much I was able to take care of her, the opportunity that I had to take care of her those last six months of her life, being her caregiver, being her counselor, being her encourager, being her coach. Honestly, I look back and I think, God, what a great, great privilege that was. Of the billions of people in this world that had the opportunity to do that, it was me. And I'm so grateful for that. But then it's, uh, you know, it's the things that we were different in, like, I never understood why she would never want to use the auto button on the AC in the car. All you have to do is push the button and it takes care of the whole climate. You know what I'm saying? It just happens. But she wanted to control it and I just, I never understood that. It never made sense to me. And the, the places that we ate, I'm good with Burger King, Right? 
but it could, you know, she had stomach issues, right? But we were different, and it's those things that we needed to learn to accommodate for each other. Through the years, though, the most difficult moments that we had in our relationship was the things that we didn't get about each other, the things that we didn't understand. When my Angelaology was off, and when her Johnology was off, those were the difficult times, right? When we didn't accommodate, or even at times when we rejected what the other wanted. So, just so that you understand, Angelaology was the study of Angela. It was me trying to figure her out. You know what I'm saying? And so many times I missed the mark in our relationship. And, and those times that I didn't understand her and she didn't understand me, those were the difficult times. And we had all those other things going on. But those were really the most difficult times. You all know what I'm saying. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. The times that you're going to feel most alone, most distant or disconnected from God could be those times in your life when your theology is off. When your Jesus-ology is off. It's those times that you feel most disconnected. and When you don't see things from his perspective. Or when you involve yourself in things that are offensive to him. Those are the times that you're going to feel like, okay, I, I don't feel connected to him. So this is theology. Theology is theo, is God. And ology is the study of God. So studying God and who he is and what he likes is what we're here for. And that's what we're here as individuals to do, the study of the nature of God and religious belief. That's the technical definition of theology. Well, when Jesus saw, he was when Jesus was here, he was continually saying this, and you'll recognize this when I say it. You've heard it was said, but I say unto you, right? What was Jesus doing? He was teaching us Jesusology. You've heard it said this way, but I say to you, people are saying this, but I say to you, the religious people are saying this, but I say unto you. So Jesus was teaching us theology. He was teaching us how to have a relationship with him. And beyond that, he spent a lot of time debating publicly, correcting false teachers the Jewish scribes, the Pharisees, and he corrected their wrong interpretations of the Old Testament and their wrong interpretations of what God really wanted out of them. And he called them false teachers. So Jesus called false theology, false understandings of what God likes and God doesn't like. He called that sin. So let me read a story to you. Um, this is really a funny story, actually, because Jesus had just fed like 4,000 people plus the women and children that they didn't count in that 4,000 number. And they crossed the lake, and as, as they're going across the lake, they're like, oh no, we forgot the bread. There was like bunches of baskets full of bread that they had left behind accidentally. Some, Peter, did you bring the bread? No, John, I didn't bring the bread. And they're like, oh no, we forgot the bread. What are we going to eat? And so it's just a really funny story when you read it from that perspective. And it says later after they crossed the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had, discovered they had forgotten it to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. All right, So he gathers around them and he says, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. All right, so these guys had a guilty conscience. They were thinking about the bread that they had left behind. And Jesus comes out with this story, and I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me, you know, when I'm preaching here, you guys are sitting there going, man, he knows what, I'm, he knows what I did this week. <laughs> 
Jesus starts talking about yeast, and they're like, oh, man, he knows about the bread. (laughs) At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. He's like, oh, this is hilarious. You have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I led with lo- I fed with loaves and the baskets left over that you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Don't you remember, guys? I am the bread maker. I can get bread anytime I want. And you guys are stuck on this. Relax. It's okay. And he says, why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? <laughs> So again, I say, beware the yeast, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then at last, they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast and the bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus was saying, look, this is a problem. When you believe something about me or my father that's not true, and then you start teaching it especially, that's a problem. So sin is missing the mark, right? And when we miss the mark of who God is, what he likes and what he doesn't like, we miss it in our relationship with him. So let's talk about this. First, God has likes and dislikes, and it's your responsibility to figure those out. No, John, I'm just going to leave that to you. No, it's your responsibility. You see, there are certain things that God is clear about what he likes and what he doesn't like. And if he's not clear on it, then we just have to leave it to each other's conscience. In order to have a healthy, healthy family, a healthy life, a healthy church family, God has given us this information. What I like and what I want to do in this life, he's given me. I need to lay aside that and say, okay, Father, what do you like and what don't you like? And I need to be able to accommodate for that in my life. That's called relationship. Now, if you've been here for a while, you understand that I have this horrible affinity for Tasty Cake Bells. And they don't, they're not making them anymore. So it's easy for me to reject them right now, right? Because <laughs> I can't find them. <laughs> but I love those. And, and the question is, what if God says, John, I don't ever want you to have a Tasty Cake Bell for the rest of your life again? Am I going to be good with that? That would be hard. You see, I need to seek and find what he likes and doesn't like, not pretending that he didn't say anything about it. I need to accommodate for that relationship in me with him. And if he's not clear about it, let it be up to your individual conscience. That's what the scripture says. So the longest sermon Jesus preached, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Well, we don't know if it's the longest one, but it's the longest recorded one. The Sermon on the Mount. That sermon is packed with all kinds of likes and dislikes that Jesus gave us for, his, for us to understand who he is and what he likes. But even if you, you could even interpret some of these things in this sermon wrongly as well, so you have to be careful with it. So there are two things as we go into this that Jesus really wanted to say in the Sermon on the Mount. One is, love is the goal. The goal is love. It's not the foundation. Our faith is our foundation, Right? And if we put love down here, we're going to misinterpret a lot of things in life. Love is the goal, true love, real love, all right? Secondly, perfection is the standard. Perfection is the standard, and it's only possible through Christ. You have to be perfect. How do you get there? 
But this is what Jesus said. So he gives some examples of how, he's, how he wants to teach us how to live with him and how to have this relationship with him. And he, he says, let's use anger, for instance, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. This is what Jesus said about anger. He said, you've heard it said by our ancestors that we're told this, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Okay, we're all in agreement with that, right? But I say to you, if you're even angry at someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of fires of hell. So first we understand Jesus, Jesus validated there is a place called hell and there is something that you can do to go there. And he says, I say, don't, don't just not murder, but don't even be angry with somebody. He takes it to the next level. And then he talks about adultery. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What is he saying? You haven't reached love when it comes to the, your relationship with that woman. And I don't like it. God's teaching us what he likes and doesn't like. And then he gets kind of, Jesus gets really kind of, he, he goes out on a limb here, I think. But he's, he's communicating how drastically important this is. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's pretty strong teaching, isn't it? So here's a question. How do we interpret that? Is Jesus saying that you go gouge your eyes out so that you don't lust? Is he saying to go cut your hand off so that you don't steal from somebody? And look what he says in verse 48. He says, you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. How many of you have reached perfection? My hand is down. So what do we do with this? What Jesus was communicating here is so important for us to understand. Perfection is the standard. And there's only one way for you to get it. And it's through a relationship with Christ. Love is the goal and perfection is the standard. And the only way to have that standard in our lives, the only hope that you've got to be perfect is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean we don't try to acquire his standard in our lives? Does that mean that we just say, oh, well, thank you for the blood. That's great. I get to go to heaven. Wonderful. I'm, I'm all set. No. The blood takes care of our relationship, or takes care of the legal part. The second part is the biggest part, and that is you entering into a relationship with him. You coming to him and saying, okay, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for that. And now I want to get to know who you are and what you like and don't like. And I will accommodate for you in my life. That's salvation. Relationship. But false theology, wrong interpretation will at the very least leave you feeling like you'll never measure up. So why even try? Well, here's why we try. 
here's, how, here's why we try to live for him. Here's why we try to live for his standard. Do you want to know? Because we love him. It's pure and simple as that. Because you choose to love him. To give up and just say, well, I'm a sinner and I'll always be a sinner and never even try to live a godly life. Listen, that's just pure laziness. It's a lack of love and it's a lack of respect for what Jesus did on the cross. Coming to Christ is more than just saying, okay, I get to go to heaven now. When I die, I get to go to heaven. No, it's more than that. It's way more than that. It's relationship. It's saying, God, okay, I want to accommodate for you in my life. And first, it's your responsibility to find out Add more knowledge of what he likes and what he doesn't like. And that's a very important part of all of this, right? Secondly, God wants us to be thorough in our, stir, in our study of him, not just trusting it all to others to do it for us. We have to be careful of how we allow, who we allow to influence us when it comes to what we believe about God. We've got to be careful with it. When it all comes down, you're personally responsible. You are personally responsible for what you believe God likes and doesn't like. You can't leave it up to me. Just because I'm your pastor does not mean that you have the, the right to leave that up to me. I am responsible to communicate to the best of my ability what Scripture says to say this is what God likes, this is what He doesn't like. I'm responsible to do that for you and to stand firm on that. Why? Because when you get to heaven, you want to know that at least you had somebody that was telling you the truth, right? But here's the, here's the reality. You are personally responsible for getting this information, and you can't leave it up to me. You need to know what God says about being good. All right, so here's faith, and you add goodness to your life. You need to study and find out what that means, and Jesus talked about it in the same, the same chapter, or the same sermon, Matthew chapter 6. He says, be especially careful when you're trying to be good, when you're trying to add goodness to your faith. Be especially careful. These are Jesus' words so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. I want God to be applauding for me, right? You want God to be applauding for you. He says, but if you make a big spectacle of it, it's great theater, but only, only people are going to be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meetings and street corners alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching. Playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it. Quietly and unobtrusively, that's the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. That's how God does it. What is he saying? I love it when you do something that I only see. I love it when you help somebody in a way that I only see. I love it when you think about somebody that I only get to see you do that because I know that you really believe that I see and I'm doing it with, or that you're doing it for me. It's, it's called love. It's love. That's what God's after. You have to know also what God thinks about prayer. 
In this same sermon, Jesus said, and when you come before God, don't turn to that theatrical production either. Don't turn into it. And all these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place. So you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God. And you'll begin to sense His grace. How many of you want to sense His grace? Jesus is teaching us how to do this. The world is so full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. And I know you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer. This is just a different version of it. I, I, I find it refreshing. He says, our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above as so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. God, you're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. And then he says, in prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. Isn't that beautiful? You need to know what he says about prayer. And this is what Jesus said about it. You need to know what he says about giving. You need to know what he says about faith. You need to know what he says about real love. You need to know what he says about lust. You need to know what he says about stealing. You need to know what he says about lying. You need to know all of these things. And you cannot count on me or any other preacher or any other book or anything else other than you searching it out and finding what God really says about these things. It is your responsibility. And listen, when you stand before him, he's not going to call me up and I get to be an advocate for you. There's not going to be your mom or your dad or the most godly person in your life. It's going to be you standing there face to face with him, personally looking him in the eye and him looking at you and saying, did you love me? What did you do with my grace? Did you appreciate it? Did you respect it? Or did you spit on it? Third, our motives must be vetted out of our theology. Our motives must be vetted out of our theology. James David, would you come? I shared this story last week, but it's really good for this. Matthew chapter 16 records that Jesus verified with the disciples that he was the Messiah. And he told them to keep it to themselves. And it says that after that, he began to tell them plainly what he was going to suffer, how he was going to suffer and how he was going to die, but how he would be raised from the dead. Well, Peter had other motivations. Peter wanted something different, as all of us would. Peter enjoyed Jesus' friendship. He enjoyed being with him. He enjoyed listening to Jesus teach, and he just couldn't imagine him being gone. And he was very motivated to think differently. And Peter went to Jesus, and he grabbed him, Scripture says. He grabbed him, and he said, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. 
His motivations kept him from hearing that Jesus needed him to understand this is about to happen and to believe him. But Peter didn't want to believe. And he walked up and he grabbed him and he said, can you imagine doing that to Jesus? And Jesus immediately said, stop. Get behind me, Satan. Away from me. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And the danger that you and I face when it comes to our theology, that when it comes to what we believe about God, is that we have our own motivations there. And how foolish we'll feel when we stand before him and he says, seriously, you couldn't give up tasty cakes for me? Really? You didn't even try. Well, God, I can't give up tasty cakes. <laughs> Every time I pass that store, there they are. Yeah, but you didn't even try. And here's what you need to remember. Yeah, but John, I'm just keeping on failing. I'm going to fail and fail and fail. Yeah, I understand that. But love is in the trying. And maybe one day I'll be delivered from Tasty Cakes. Maybe one day you'll be delivered from whatever it is that God doesn't like or the feeling that, no, I don't want to do what he does like. God's in the delivering business, isn't he? You see, Peter wasn't thinking about God's desires. He wanted Jesus, the friend and teacher. He wanted Jesus, the Messiah. And I can't tell you how badly I want my wife. But his plan, his purpose, and the question is, do I want him more than I want her? I have to. Because really, he's all I've got. And there's not a thing in this world that will make me turn my back on him. I hope. I hope. Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you, and man, this is a huge question Jesus asks. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. In other words, you have to be willing to lay down what you think, what you want, and embrace what God thinks and what God wants. And you're responsible to figure that out. 
And I'll do my best every Sunday and every time we teach a class here, I will do my best to teach you that. But ultimately, you are responsible for that. And I certainly understand that there are going to be times that we disagree on that. You have to figure it out and you have to follow your conscience and your relationship with God. What God says about every area of our lives. And Jesus asked the most basic, raw question in Scripture right here. Is anything worth more than your soul? So let me ask you this. What is there in your life that you've not been able to give up or stop or even try? That you know God doesn't like. Or to start doing that you know that God does like. Well, John, I had this preacher do this or that, or I heard this teaching or I heard that. Wait a second. Have you really added knowledge to your life about all of these issues? Because I'm telling you, the information is there. It's there. And if you'll open your heart to what God likes and doesn't like, it opens a relationship with him. And that's why we're here. If you want God to be something he isn't to accommodate for you, your soul is in danger. But if you say, okay, God, your will, your way. And listen, this is, you just start. No, you're not going to be perfect in and of yourself, but through him you can be. And we strive together. We love one another along the way. And I'll be your best friend if you'll let me. And I will help you, but I promise you this, I'll always do my best to tell you the truth when I know it. Because there's one thing that I do know. Judgment starts with the house of God. And that means that I'm going to be held more accountable than anybody in this room. And I have to be able to stare God in the eye myself. And say, yes, I told them the truth. Would you bow your heads? Have you accepted God for who he says he is? Some would say the cross was overkill. But it wasn't. Jesus was hanging there and he was saying, the evil of humanity is on full display, but this is how much I love these people. And I got to be honest with you, when God talks to me, he tells me truth that's very hard sometimes and I don't like it. And that's how I know he's talking to me. Because I'm certainly not going to tell myself that. And maybe you're here today and God is talking to you and he's saying, come on, I love you. Would you love me? Would you choose me? God, we come to you today and we, we know that you're God and there are things that you like and things that you don't like and somehow down deep inside in our, in our flesh, we just fight those things and I ask you, Father, to help us 
Help each of us to start today, right where we're at, to begin to accommodate for you in our lives. God, we want to grow to know you, deeper relationship with you. What you do like to do those things and the things that you don't, God, we ask you for help and strength to not do those things. We ask you for deliverance. We want to truly get to know you. And as, as we stand individually before you one day, we so badly want to hear you say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, but look what I have in store for you, many things. And God, we, we embrace that and we hope for that and help us lead us and guide us to be there one day. And God, there are some who are here today that have been hurt. They've got pains from their past, maybe their childhood. They were victims. And God, today we declare that no longer is that going to be our lives. We're going to be overcomers. We're going to begin to do life your way and have that relationship with you where you tutor us, where you walk with us each day and teach us and show us your will and your way. We ask you, God, to help us, help us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. You're our God. We believe. We believe.